This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cavanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Glad to have you with us today. It's something a little bit different um, in that we're kind of recognizing God's faithfulness to us. It was five years ago this month that we started meeting as a church, and so uh, our worship style was different this morning. We're usually a little bit, little bit less uh, formal, I might say, uh, but we wanted to do something different that would sort of capture our attention and um, allow us to express our hearts corporately through corporate reading of Scripture and prayer and such that would recognize God's uh, faithfulness to us. We've been in a series on community, and I'm going to take a little bit of a break from that today. Um, uh, this, this message will certainly... Uh, have to do with community, but uh, but I'm going to take a, a, a one-week break from that particular uh, topic and consider just one verse today. We're going to look at just one verse, Psalm 115, verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us today that's been recounted in a number of ways. And we pray that as we look at your word today, that you would remind us of your faithfulness in our own lives, in our own families, in our own church and our own history, your hand of faithfulness, your providence has guided us. Your shepherdly care has attended us. Your power has delivered us. Lord, you have been better to us than we can even articulate today, but we pray that as we look at this one verse that you would speak to us and that you would refresh us in our perspective, that we would lift our eyes to you. God, my prayer is in the next few minutes that I have here that, that I could bring you glory and that all that's happened here today would bring you glory. For that is our heart, and that is the reason we exist. Fill, fill me with your spirit, I pray, and help us all be hearers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're celebrating, so it might be a little unusual to pick a verse that is not about celebration. Uh, as a matter of fact, the context of this verse is probably the opposite of celebration. And so it's a little bizarre of a place to go. We're not going to go through the whole text, but I, I do want to at least make that point. We don't know the context for this psalm. We don't know exactly how it was used in Israel's history, but we can reconstruct the mood of what was going on in Israel, and we don't have to go any farther than the next verse, verse 2. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Now, I'm going to explain why I'm using this verse, which is about a time of trouble on a day of celebration. The, the, the people of Israel are experiencing a, a difficult time here at some level. There was a time in Israel's history when the nations, the, the people referred to in verse 2, those who weren't part of God's people, the people of Israel, there was a time when the nations were awestruck by God. When God delivered Israel out of Egypt, when God destroyed the most powerful ruler 
the Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, when God did that, the word of that got to the nations that were in God's land, the promised land that he gave to his people. When, when God began to remove people and nations who opposed him so that his own people might have a place there, the nations feared God. But that's not what's happening now. This is a different time. And the stories of what God did a long time ago, that they're just not very impressive to the nations. So now the nations aren't saying, your God is amazing. We want nothing to do with him. He's powerful. Now the nations are saying, where is your God? They're taunting the people of Israel. They're mocking them. They're, they're saying, what can your God do? And so this psalm was likely used in worship so that the people of God when being taunted, could gather together and could rehearse the character of God, could rehearse the works of God, and could reorient their hearts so that God would reorient their hearts to realize that God is all-powerful. Verse 3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. That's the answer to the nations. Where's your God? He's doing whatever He wants at all times with all people. So they could reorient themselves to this truth that God rules and reigns. And they could remind themselves that God rules and reigns. And they could declare that God has been faithful and God will be faithful to His people. One, one scholar classified this psalm as a, a psalm of communal confidence. There's different kinds of psalms. He said this is a psalm of communal confidence. It's when the community gathered to rehearse the works of God and to rehearse His character and to take confidence in God. To take confidence in God. To trust Him for their future. Now, the reason I only want to look at this first verse is because I just think it's a, I think it's a powerful verse. I think it's a fascinating verse. I think it's a, like a life-defining type of a verse. A church-defining type of a verse. It really is. It's the kind of verse that you can live out of for the glory of God. Well, that's the point of the verse, but you can live out of this one. It's interesting that when the people gather that we don't know who is taunting them and saying, where's their God? We don't know what kind of difficult thing is happening so that people would say, where is he? We don't know what the circumstances are that would cause onlookers to say God has abandoned his people. We don't know what that is. Um, but, but we do know this, that if you're gathering together, it seems like the first concern would be relief. Seems like the first concern would be to say, God, uh, you know, can you help us out here? Do you hear what they're saying? But, but their primary concern is not their relief. Their primary concern is God's glory. Their primary concern is not their relief. Their primary concern is God's glory. Their primary concern is not their reputation. Their primary concern is God's reputation. Their primary concern is not their name. Their primary concern is is God's name. And that's why they say this at the beginning. I mean, it is a stark introduction to corporate worship. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us. And that is, that is a, 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 a stark, abrupt type of beginning. To come into worship and say, it's not about us, is the opening statement. The, the opening statement is to get everybody's mind clear, get everybody straight on this fact that we gather here not for our attention, but for your attention. We gather here not that our name might be known, but that your name might be known. That's what they're saying. 
We, we gather here because we want glory to go to you and not to us. We are gathered for your glory. That is our passion. And that really cuts at the heart of why we gather. That determines why we gather. We don't gather in the first place. Now, I trust everybody gets a benefit out of when we gather. I hope so. But that's not the first reason we gather. I mean, edifying, building up the church, that's certainly a, that's certainly a secondary reason and a valuable reason. But the first reason we gather together is for him. That his name might receive glory. That cuts to the heart. That informs why we are here. We're not consumers who have gathered to obtain goods and services, even spiritual goods and services, that will make us better people. We're not here just... Now, if you're a guest checking things out, please feel free to check. I didn't just call you a shallow consumer or something like that. You should check things out. You should ask, what does this church provide? You should find out if this is the church for you. So if you're a guest here, please, I, I didn't just say something intentionally offensive to you. Please check things out. But once you're joined to a church and you find a place where you belong, you're not gathering as a consumer to sort of benefit your own spiritual lives, but we gather to bring Him glory. That should inform why we gather. That should inform how we prepare to gather. That should inform when we gather with regard to the start of the service, how we, how we enter, when we gather, how we participate. And so they're praying this very big prayer. God, we pray that in the midst of our circumstances, you would look what it says in the second part of verse one, not to us. You would give glory to your name, but to your name, he writes, give glory. And that's really our prayer as a church. That's really our prayer as we, as we gather and think about five years that that's our, our prayer. God has been indescribably good to us. He really has. We've already alluded to a number of things, but God has been indescribably good to us. And we want to pause today and just, just recognize that and, and just pause and in a moment, thank him in a moment in a Sunday morning, thank him for what he has done in five years for he has been at work. Those of us who have been around for the five years, I think most of us, I think most of us would say that, that we know God better today than we did five years ago. I think most of us would say the gospel, that is Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, Jesus' substitution, his death in our place so that we might be forgiven and made right with God. That means something more to us than it did five years ago. And, and, and if that's true of you, then give glory to God. Glory to God is the response. What He has done, we give Him glory for what He has done. I, I think most of us who've been around for a while would say that the community of people that we've gathered our lives with, that being with them, that learning from them, that sharing with them, that it's made a difference in our life, that we know God better. Because of the people he's joined us to. If that's true, give glory. We give glory to God for that. I think those of us who have families would say that we love our spouses. We understand. We love our children. We, we have a better understanding of what it means to be a family representing the Savior, leaning on the Savior, depending on the Savior, growing in God 
We have a little bit better idea. I think we have a little bit better idea of how needy we are, how weak we are, how incapable we are on our own of having a great marriage, of raising wonderful children because we're wonderful parents. I think we all have a more sober assessment and are aware of our need for God and have seen him work in faithful ways. I think most of us who would say, hey, in the last five years, God has stirred something in my heart for someone else who doesn't know the Lord. God stirred us to reach out, to invite someone, to pray for someone, to share the gospel with someone, to serve someone. I think we'd say, God, you've been about stirring in my heart a greater love for those who don't know you. And, And we give glory to God for that. I think most of us would say that in the last five years or however long you've been here, one year, whatever, six months, that. As we have suffered or walked with someone else through suffering, we've seen God in the midst of that. That's the kindness of God. I mean, there's situations, I'm not going to name situations right now, but there's so many where people have suffered and God has been there with them and God has gathered around them through his people. I mean, I could go on and on, but the point is this, that we don't point to a program, we don't point to a ministry, we don't point to our church, we don't point to a philosophy, we don't point to a style. We point to God. And we say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Now, we are grateful for people. Uh, Actually, we looked at a passage last week that says we are to honor people in an appropriate way. So we are grateful for people, for sure. But, but, Glory goes to God. Attention, honor, awareness goes to God as the one who works in our lives. We point to him. Listen, if you are here today and you have a shred of love for God in your heart, if you want to be here, and if you weren't brought here kicking and screaming, if you want to be here, if you have an interest in God, the reason is God. And so he receives glory. The reason is, as he says, his steadfast love and faithfulness. Our very presence here, that's what we're trying to say during the time of singing this morning. Our our very presence as a church screams that God is faithful. Your very presence here, if you're a Christian, the very presence of your worship here today announces that God is faithful. God has steadfast love towards his people. Now, the, the psalmist is very specific here. He says, we want you to receive glory and not us. We want your name to be elevated. And he gives a reason for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, those two words are uh, very similar. They're distinguishable, but they're similar. Steadfast love is one word. In the original language. So it's one word, steadfast love and faithfulness. And I want to just take a moment and talk about this this morning and and sort of meditate on this this phrase, steadfast love, that we think about God. We we honor him because he's been faithful to us. He's been steadfast in his love for us. I don't usually think it's helpful to use language from the original text in in an English sermon. Uh, A, because it gives the impression that I know a lot about the languages and I don't. And B, so it usually is just a way of sounding like a smarty pants, um, or I'm not judging other people. It may, may be very sincere for them, but, uh, you know, it's just confusing. But I think it's helpful here because this word, 
uh, is translated in differing ways in English. The word is hesed, and it's one of the greatest Old Testament words uh, because it's used repeatedly about 246 times in the Bible, this word hesed. Half of the times are in the Psalms that it's used. And it's a word that used to describe, uh, the ESV here translates it steadfast love. I think the NIV just uses the word love here. Uh, the New American Standards uses the word loving kindness. Have you seen that in your Bible? Loving kindness, steadfast love. What does that mean? Well, it's this word, this powerful word, hesed, and it's used. Sometimes it's, it's, it's even uh, translated like loyalty or faithfulness, like the word right after it. it. It's a word that speaks of God's enduring love for his people. God's committed love for his people. It's a word that speaks loving kindness. Doesn't mean that God's just a warm being, like a loving kindness, like a bear hug. I mean, that's what that kind of sounds like to our ears, maybe. But what it means is that he is enduringly faithful. God is loyal. God upholds his covenant. It's a word that describes God's covenant love, that God has made a covenant, a promise to his people and he will uphold that promise. And whenever or frequently in the Bible, when his, he's upholding his promise, when he's showering love, when he's sticking by his people, even when they don't stick by him, when he's loyal to his people, this word is the word that you hesed, the hesed of God, the faithfulness, unchanging love for God. And that's what he talks about. That is our experience. If you're a Christian here today, you are a recipient of this steadfast, enduring, lasting faithful love to you. That is the foundation of our Christian life. It's not our love for God, but it's God's love for us. And we only love him because he first loved us. The scripture says our hope today as an individual is God's enduring love that he's not going to change. Great is his faithfulness, as we sang. That when we change, He won't. When those around us change, He won't. When circumstances change, He won't. That He will ever, always, and forever be relating to us and posturing Himself towards us with a faithful, enduring, unbreakable love. And, and so the psalmist says, hey, they're saying, where's your God? It appears like God is vacant. And the psalmist says, okay, Glory to God. We are going to give glory to God. We don't want glory for our name. We want glory to God because here's the reality. His love is enduring. His faithful love, his covenant love is unchanging. It's all over the Psalms. I'm just going to look at a verse or two that give a picture of this. So we just get a window into what it's like. Turn back if you're in Psalm 115. Turn back a few Psalms to Psalm 94. Psalm 94. This same phrase is used here, the same word. Look at verse 17. If the Lord had not been my help. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love. That's it. My foot was slipping. Your hesed, O Lord, held me up. Here's what he's saying is that kind of love It's like I, I, I you, you hold me up. You help me. What does the verse 17 say? The Lord, if the Lord had not been my help, this enduring faithful love is the love of God, which helps us. It's the love of God that holds us when we think we're slipping. It's when you meet a crisis, when you hit crisis and you think you're going to go under, it's God that holds you up. That's that covenant faithful love. 
When you hit difficulty, it's God that is with you. When you feel like you, you that, that's a very vivid picture. I felt like my foot had slipped. If you've ever, you know, hiked or walked up a, a rocky pathway or mountain climbed or something like that, and your foot is slipping and you think you're going to fall. It's as if someone's right there to catch you and hold you up. That's the picture. My foot had slipped. I was about to fall and God right there held me up. He's saying, look, everyone, give glory to God and remember the steadfast love of God. What is that love like? It's the love that holds us. It's the love that keeps us. It's the love that holds us up. It's the love that sustains us. It's the love that in the middle of a crisis gets you through. It's the love that in the middle of a financial crisis, God's grace sees you through. In the midst of a medical crisis, God's power helps you and holds you up, often through his people. It's when you're in the middle of a relational crisis, an emotional crisis, a temptation crisis. And you say, I felt like my foot was going to slip, that I was going to lose it all. I was going to be in trouble, that I was going to go under and God held me up. That's the steadfast love of God that the psalmist in 115, it's that kind of covenant loyalty. This is like an illustration of it. In other words, I'm using Psalm 115, but I'm giving you an illustration out of the Bible. To say it's the kind of love that holds you up in the midst of a crisis. It means he's been our help. He's been with us. See, every one of us, God has guarded us from so much. God has helped us. If you are here, again, if you are here as a Christian, it is a testimony to the faithfulness of God that he's brought you this far. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we're really glad that you're here. And it's the faithfulness of God that you're here hearing this truth today. And God extends to you an invitation to know him and to experience forgiveness of sins and to come to new life by believing in Jesus as the one who gave his life so that you could be forgiven. Every one of us would have helped had fallen if God was not holding on to us. That's the love of God. He's holding on to you. His grip is your security. It's not your grip on him. It's his grip on you that is your security. And it's also that reality, that remembrance of his steadfast love that enables us to look to the future and say, I'm going to be okay. I mean, you really can say that. That is true. To a Christian, you can't say your circumstances are going to be great. Christians die. Christians get persecuted. Christians in the New Testament and all over the world today are martyred for their faith. So you can't say your circumstances are going to be rosy, but you can say this, God will always be with you. He will help you. He will hold you. You really can look at someone and say, it's going to be okay. And the reality is with eternity in view, it's going to be far better than okay. It's going to be greater than you can even conceive. You conceive of the greatest circumstance imaginable and your future is infinitely more glorious than that because you'll be with the Savior. So you're going to be okay God is going to be faithful. Why? Because he will hold you. He holds us up. God's steadfast love is not only that which keeps us and holds us. God's steadfast love, number two, is also enduring. Just listen to this verse. This is so powerful to me. Isaiah 54. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. I mean, really? Can you imagine that? I mean, like you're in Jerusalem and you look up and there's the hills, there's the mountains. They've always been there. All your relatives saw those. All your kids will saw those. see those. Really, they may be removed like you're going to walk out. And who moved? I was going to go for a hike, but I don't know. Someone moved the mountain. I mean, that's an unthinkable situation. But that's what he says. For the mountains may depart 
The hills may be removed, but my steadfast love, my hesed shall never depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. The mountains may just disappear. They may be gone. But God's love is more secure than that. What he's saying is think of the most enduring thing on the planet that you know of. It's a mountain. He's just using a a poetic picture. That's the most enduring thing. That's going to disappear before your eyes, before God's going to stop loving you. His faithful love endures to his people. And that's why Psalm 115, Lord, because of your steadfast love, may you be glorified. May you receive attention. May the spotlight be on you. May we look to you and say thank you because you will never leave us. Your love is eternal. It's enduring to us. If you're here and you are a Christian, you need to, to know this. Really, I think you need to feel this. I believe God's will is, is not that we just merely live with an intellectual creed. I believe God wants your soul to be saturated with this truth so that at some point, I can't say right now, but at some point your affection is stirred for God with this truth, that if you're a Christian, God's steadfast love will never be removed to you from you. He is committed to you because of his covenant of peace, because of his faithfulness, because of his goodness, because of who he is, he is committed to you. He is committed to you. He is committed to accepting you because of Jesus Christ. He accepts you in Christ. He is committed to welcoming you. You are welcome before the Father because of what Jesus has done for you. He is committed to caring for you. He will never leave or forsake you. He is committed to providing for you. His committed loyalty is unchanging. It's impossible for God to change his loyalty to you because his very nature is this steadfast love, this covenant love, this faithfulness. God cannot be unfaithful because his very nature is faithfulness. He is faithful. That's the very substance of his nature and being. And your life is a testimony of it. Your future will be a testimony of it. Your eternity will be a testimony of it. And that is the story of our church as we gather here today. God's committed love. And and, and that's what the psalmist is excited about. That's why the psalmist starts the worship service, or at least this psalm. Starts the psalm with, this is not about us, folks. Because we are all unfaithful. We are fickle. We are up one day and down the other. We love you. We say we love you to your face and we talk behind your back. We get angry at one another. We get mad. We relate selfishly. We thrive on attention. We crave the approval of others. So we're not gathering here to celebrate that kind of sin. We're gathering to say there is one who is completely faithful, completely loving, completely gracious, completely merciful, will always fulfill his promises perfectly. So we are gathered here to put attention on him. Those out there are saying, where's your God? He's in your head. You're crazy for believing that. So here's what we're doing. We're going to gather and say, great is your faithfulness, your steadfast love. Attention to you, God, because of your steadfast love. That is the theme of their gathering. Um, the Praetors led us in a congregational reading of Psalm 100. Did you catch the last verse that we read? And then we sang it in the song, Great is Your Faithfulness, as well afterwards. For the Lord is good, Psalm 105. His steadfast love, same word, His steadfast love endures forever. 
and his faithfulness to all generations. It's just enduring. It's unchanging. It's, it's a forever kind of love. And his faithfulness goes to all generations as well, it says. His covenant love, his covenant loyalty passes from one generation to another. I mean, some of you are in this room right now. Your parents were Christians. Now, you're not a Christian because they were automatically. It's not as if you just got sort of grandfathered in. You rode on their coattails. You personally had to be regenerated. You personally had to turn from sin and believe in God. You had to have a personal conversion to be a Christian. But isn't it amazing that God was faithful to pass on from generation to generation? And as those of us as adults in the room sit here, that's our future. That's our hope for the future is the enduring, faithful love of God to the next generation. From generation to generation, faithful. His steadfast love endures forever. And then the tie is his faithfulness to all generations. He's not alleviating any parent from the responsibility of sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, living the gospel before their children. He uses means. It doesn't change any sense in which we train the next generation, share the gospel with the next generation. We're responsible to do that, and his parents will give an account for that. But the promise of God is that he uses those means and that he is faithful. And from one generation to another, I felt that that might be a word of encouragement for some of us who lack encouragement today. As parents, your your child may be one year old, your child may be five, 15, 25, maybe older, and, and you wrestle. Here's a word from God for you. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. When I think about our future as a church, I think about how he's been faithful to us already, and I'm confident in his remaining faithfulness because of his character and because we already see him working in the next generation in our midst. It's thrilling to see God doing so much in children in this church. The stories I hear, even from our children's ministry, at times are astounding to me. That what God is the hearts of some of the young children in this church and teenagers. It's not universal. It says he is faithful. You know, I can't I mean, it's not universal in our church, but he doesn't give us a timetable here. He doesn't say his faithfulness from one generation happens the moment you want it to happen. He doesn't say by age six that everything will be just the way you prescribe it. He just says he's faithful. And that causes all of us to trust in him. But God is faithful. It's an enduring love. It's a helping love. It's a sustaining love. And it's a love that's seen most clearly in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate place of steadfast love. The ultimate person of steadfast love is Jesus Christ, who gives his life. He dies on a cross. He's innocent, perfectly holy, but he dies on a cross for sinners. He takes our sins upon himself. And God pours out his judgment, his wrath, Upon his own son, God the Father punishes the innocent son for the sins of us. Our sins are on him. And he dies in our place so that if we believe in him, we turn from our sin and trust Jesus Christ as our only hope for forgiveness, our only salvation, then our sins are forgiven. That is amazing love that God would prescribe the law and then come pay the penalty for all the lawbreakers who would believe in him, who would turn to him. It's an amazing, amazing love. Now, that's not just a love that gets you in the door, that gets you a ticket 
with a great carnival in the sky or some kind of crazy idea like that. That is a love that sustains you. That's this steadfast love. For the sake of His steadfast love. Here's a New Testament version of that. Listen to this in Romans. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm confident that nothing in creation can separate you from the love of God as a believer in Jesus. I mean, there's two categories of beings in all the universe. There are two categories of reality, I guess. There are, there's the creator and there's everything that's created. And what he's, the creator is never going to change his posture towards those of us in Jesus Christ who believe in him. And what he says here is that nothing in all creation can separate you from him. So he's not going to change. He's going to express enduring love to you and to us as a people. And there's no one or no thing. It does not matter what the nations say, where is their God? No one or no thing. No height, no death, no life, nor death, he says. Nothing, nor power, no power, nothing present, nothing to come can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. That's why Psalm 115 says, God, not to us, but to your name give glory because your steadfast love is fixed upon us. It is, it may not, it cannot be severed from us. You will not sever it and no one or no thing else has the power to sever your faithful love from us today. Christian, God has kept you. He has held you. He has helped you. And that's not changing. That's why it's amazing. Because guaranteed, you and I will change. Guaranteed. You and I, we, we are hot and cold. We're up and down. But he never changes. And he's done the same for us as a church. He's been faithful to us. He's guarded us. He's helped us. And we told stories of him providing for us this morning. But he is, he's guarded us along the way as well. number of ventures in the life of our church, things could have happened that, and, and many ven- points that we don't even know of, I'm sure, things could have happened that would have been destructive in our church could have divided our church. But God has held us together and provided for us. He's, he's restored marriages. He's restored young people. He's restored single adults. He's done great works wherever we look. He has kept us. And as we look toward the future, our hope is this verse. It's not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. Why? For the sake of, because of, to magnify your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And I pray that we gather five years from now, ten years from now, uh, those of us who make it 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, and I pray this is the message. God, you've, you've kept us this long, and you're going to keep us for eternity. Your steadfast love, it's never changed. You have remained faithful to us our hope is not in our plans. We're very excited about what was shared this morning, obviously, about Frisco Square, but that's really not our hope. Our hope is not in a building. Our hope is not in our resources. Our hope is not in our gifts. Our hope is not, we've got great people, but that's not really our hope. Our hope's not in our abilities. It's not in our location. It's not in our ministries. It's not in our creativity or skills. 
Our hope is not in anything that's human, for then we wouldn't be able to say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Our hope, rather, is in his steadfast love and in his faithfulness. And that is a sure thing for all of us today who are in Christ Jesus. That is just really, really good news. And that helps me rest at night. I can sleep well at night knowing that uh, he's not changing and that he will uphold us and that he will fulfill his purposes. Some of us in the room this morning are questioning that. We're in a dis- place of confusion, a place of uh, despair maybe even, that, that, that challenging. And I just know that God wants you to know today that the cross is the proof and the living evidence. Nothing can separate you from him. Love, if he's not, if he's already given his son, will he not also, along with him, graciously give you all that you need? Psalm eight says. I mean, Romans eight says, he'll give you all that you need. Has your story so far not been a statement of God's faithfulness? Has our story not been a statement of God's faithfulness? Has our story not been we've received far more than we've deserved? We've received grace when we've des- deserved wrath. God is not treating us as our sins deserve, Psalm 103, because he treated Christ as our sins deserve. This this is glorious good news for us today. God's been faithful, and we gather today to give him glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.